Tonight, as we look at living in an ungodly world, take your Bibles with me, please, and turn to the book of John, chapter number 17. John, chapter number 17, where we'll be tonight. I, uh, on purpose, I told the pastor I saved my 30-second testimony for the time I got up, and I knew he was uh, not holding that bell any longer. Um, I do praise the Lord for uh, what he did this past week in our Christian school. Um, Many of you know the speaker this week was Pastor Donald Scully, and Pastor Scully came to the church that I attended when I was eight years old and has been my pastor my entire life up until the point I went off to college and has been a great help to me throughout my entire life. And I've said before, I don't know where I would be without his ministry, and it was just a a blessing to me and a neat thing to uh, grow up underneath his ministry, and now here I am years later working in the ministry, and it was a privilege to be able to invite him to come back and preach for us here in this place. We did have souls saved in each chapel, a total of four throughout the week, two in the sixth grade, one in the ninth grade, one in the tenth grade, and some strong seed was planted. And I do ask that you pray for the faculty of Ocala Christian Academy that we would have wisdom and following up now and uh, watering the seed that's been planted in the hearts of these young people. Praise the Lord for that. You have John chapter number 17. I uh, believe with all my heart that I'm going to preach tonight the message that God has intended for the hour. I'm very much aware of the crowd that we have here tonight, Sunday night crowd, faithful folks, but I'm reminded over and over in the Word of God, uh, we are commanded to bring to remembrance. And though this is a Sunday night crowd, I believe it's important that we bring to remembrance the truths in the Word of God. And so as we look in John chapter number 17, I want to go ahead and say this as well, just before we get started, I'm planning to... Uh, read a lot of scripture tonight, and for sake of time, you may not have time to turn to each and every verse that we read, but if you're taking notes, you can jot down the references. Catch the ones you can, but the ones you can't make it to in time, just jot those down. You can check those out later on. John 17, we're going to begin reading in verse number 9, and we'll read down through verse number 20. John 17, verse number 9. We find here the Lord Jesus Christ is praying, and he begins in verse 9. He says, I pray for them. Speaking about the disciples, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil." They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word." Let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Father, we love you tonight. I thank you for the opportunity to stand behind this pulpit and proclaim thy word tonight, Lord. We've had a great day already in the Lord, and I pray tonight as we open thy word, 
that the Holy Spirit of God would take control of this service. Lord, I certainly need your help and your power to deliver this message. And I pray that thy will be done in each heart as we look into thy word tonight. We would ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We come to our text. Again, we find that the Lord Jesus Christ here is praying to the Father. If you look back in verse number 1 of chapter 17, the Bible says these words, spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father. So Jesus, we find he is praying and uh, the Holy Spirit of God through his word is revealing to us the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this prayer, we find a particular statement that is found both in verses 14 and in verse 16. And we find this phrase, they are not of the world. Speaking about his disciples, they are not of the world. As believers tonight, we understand that we are in this world. We are currently residing in this world, but we are not of the world. The Bible says very plainly, both in verse 14 and verse 16, that they are not of the world. You and I tonight, who know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are born again. We recognized one day that we were sinners bound for hell, and by faith we have asked the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and have trusted in the work that He had done on the cross for us, how that Christ died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. And in that moment that we received Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Bible teaches that we became joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. We received a heavenly citizenship. In that moment... I was no longer a citizen of this old world, this ungodly, sinful world, but I became a citizen of heaven. I want you to see tonight that you and I, as believers, we belong to God and we belong with God. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us, and He said if He goes to prepare a place for us, He will come again and receive us unto Himself, that where He is, there we may be also. The Bible teaches as well that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You realize tonight that we may reside here on this earth, we may reside in the world, but our home is with the Lord Jesus Christ. Our home is in the presence of Almighty God. That is where our eternity will be. Yet in our text, as Jesus is praying, He says again in verse number 11, These are in the world. And in verse number 18, he says that ye are sent into the world. Will you look at that again with me, please? Look at verse number 18. Jesus in his prayer says, And thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. Look down at verse number 15. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. What the Bible is saying here is Jesus is reminding uh, these uh, disciples and reminding us through the pages of Scripture that you and I as believers have been sent into the world. We have been sent here by God as a believer. We are not just to exist in this world. We are not to be at home in this world. We are not to imitate and look like and act like this world. But may God help you and I to remember that we have been sent into this world, commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ to go into the world, to be a shining light, to be an example, to go with the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. And Jesus says here, I have sent you into the world. Verse 15, He says, I pray not that God would take the believers out of the world, 
but that He would keep them from the evil that is in the world. And in verse 20, He says, I pray not for these alone, not just the disciples that were present with Him, but for all those who would believe on the name of Jesus Christ. That's you and I. We find in this prayer, you and I are included in this. Jesus is praying for us as well. So I want you to see tonight, we've been sent into the world even though we are not of this world. And Jesus is praying for you and I not to be taken out, but to be protected, to be kept, to be guarded from the evil of this present world. I want to spend our time together tonight looking at what the Bible has to say about this ungodly, this wicked world in which we live. And if we have been sent into the world, and we have, according to the Word of God, how should you and I live in this world? What is it that God has commissioned for us to do? We're going to answer four questions tonight as we go through the Word of God. I want you to see number one tonight. What does the Bible say about this world? I think it's important to understand that if God has sent you as a believer into the world, then we need to understand the place with which we live. We need to understand what the Bible teaches about this world that we have been sent to to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. What does the Bible say about our world? Number one, the Bible teaches us that our world is evil. This world is an evil place. In 1 John chapter number 5 and verse 19, the Bible says, And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. I believe the Bible is very plain there. The whole world lieth in wickedness. In Galatians 1 and verse 4, who, uh, who gave Himself for our sins that He might deliver us, catch this, from this present evil world, according to the will of God our Father. The Bible is very clear about the world we live in. He says here in these two verses, the whole world lieth in wickedness. Galatians refers to this present evil world. The Bible says as well, when we look at this world, that the devil, the old enemy of God, who is completely opposed to all that is godly, is the prince of this world. Do you realize that when you wake up in the morning and you get out of your bed and you start your day off within this world, that the one who is in power is the prince of the power of the air? The Bible refers to Satan as the prince of this world. In John chapter 12 and verse 31, the Bible says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Jesus here is referring to the devil as the prince of this world. That word prince is implying one with power and authority. And Satan will use all the power and all the authority that he has to oppose the things of God. In fact, he works very hard and very actively to seek out others to join him in hell. He seeks very actively to drag others into his disobedience. The ultimate goal of the devil is to bring as many souls to hell as he possibly can because he knows that is in direct opposition to what you and I have been commissioned to do by the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan is the prince of this world. Again, in the book of Ephesians, the Bible refers to Satan as the prince of this world and even lets us into a little bit of the evil that he brings in. In Ephesians 2 and verse 2, the Bible says, "...wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience." You see, the Bible says that Satan, the prince of this world, is the power that worketh in the, spirit, in the children of disobedience." Where is the disobedience coming from? Where is the sin coming from? That old serpent, the devil himself. Ephesians 6.12 
For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You know, the Bible is teaching us here tonight that this world, we are in it and we are under constant attack as believers Every single moment of our lives, Satan is just walking about as that roaring lion, trying to find just one crack in the door that he can put his paw into. He puts out temptation after temptation. He sets snare after snare. We are under a constant attack to take a step away from the Lord Jesus Christ in our walk with Him. We are constantly tempted to yield to our flesh rather than to walk in the Spirit. In 1 John 2, verse 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. You know, all of our sin, every sin that we commit, will stem from, will go back to, you can trace it back to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. And the Bible is telling us here that each of these, all of this sin, the the lust of our flesh, the lust of our eyes, the pride of life, are not of the Father, but at the end of this verse, the Bible tells us they are in the world. They're not of the Father, but is of this world. Friend, I want you to see tonight our world is evil. Our world has the prince, which is the devil. Thirdly, tonight, the Bible teaches us that our world lies in darkness. This world is a dark place. When the Bible refers to the darkness that is in the world, it is speaking not of a physical darkness, but rather of a spiritual darkness. We're talking about a blindness to the truth and to the love of God. Our world is so blinded to the truths of God's Word, so blinded to the truth of God and who He is and His person and His holiness. Uh, We are seeing increasingly more and more today uh, young people, even folks in my generation, you talk to them about the Lord and they ask questions such as, who is this Jesus you're talking about? We are living in a biblically illiterate world to where they've never even heard the name Jesus Christ. I can remember when I was teaching children's church up in Thomasville, Georgia, there was a young man came in on our bus. He was probably 14 years old at the time. And we preached uh, that morning in Sunday school just a very simple message, just preaching the gospel. And I can remember him coming up to me after that service. And with all the sincerity he had, he looked at me and he said, Brother Josh... Uh, you were preaching this morning, and uh, I've got a question for you. And he asked me point blank, who is Jesus? Who is Satan? I've never heard of this in my life. Fourteen-year-old boy in America had never heard of this. We are living in a spiritually darkened world. In John chapter 12 and verse 46, Jesus says, I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. What Jesus is teaching here in this verse is that you and I, as unbelievers, before we met the Lord Jesus Christ, we were in darkness. Our eyes were blinded to the truth. Spiritually, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But in the moment that we meet the Lord, He says, I am come a light into the world that those who believe on Me should no longer abide in darkness. In Acts 26 and verse 18, Jesus speaking again says to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in 
me. Jesus said, I have come to turn them from the darkness of this world to the light, from following this old world and the devil to following the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Satan operates in darkness. It is in the darkness that the greatest of crimes are committed and the most evil deeds are done. We know this. Darkness provides a cover. Darkness provides a cover and hides the wickedness. The Bible says that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. You think about this. If many of the crimes that were committed at nighttime were committed in the daylight, they would be exposed. Because light exposes, light reveals the truth. And so we need the light that is the Word of God. We need the light that is believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to shine and penetrate the darkness. It is Satan's desire tonight to keep the entire world in spiritual darkness. It is Satan's desire that there would not be another soul that would see the truth of the Word of God and the true nature of the devil. You see, it is the Word of God that penetrates that darkness, that sheds light in this darkened world. That's why more than ever we need church. More than ever we need men that will stand behind the pulpit and thunder forth the Word of God. We need these OCA revivals. We need church-wide visitation where we go out and we preach and teach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because we live in a spiritually dark world. What else does the Bible say about our world? Number four, the world hates God. The world we live in hates God. Over and over again, we find that this world is anti-God. We need only to look around our city. We need only to turn on the news to see how much this world is anti-God. And the Bible even says this in James 4.4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? God says, as a believer, if you will be a friend to this world, if you will set your affection on worldly things, if you will be swept away with the things of this world, you have placed yourself in opposition to God. To be a friend of the world is to be the enemy of God. This world hates our Savior. This world hates the fact that we will stand forth and preach against sin. In John 15 and verse 18 and 19, the Bible says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Jesus is very plain. This world hated him. Verse 19, If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. You know, it ought not surprise us when we get some opposition from this old world. It not, ought not surprise us when we try to live a godly life on the workplace and we have some opposition and we have some folks that want to keep their distance from us because we are representing the Lord Jesus Christ in a world that is ungodly, in a world that is anti and against God. I want you to see, lastly, this evening, and don't get excited, this is just point number one. What does the Bible say about our world? It's only temporary. This old world, as ungodly as it is, it is only temporary. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 17, the Bible says, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. 
One of these days, this old world is going to pass away entirely. Unlike heaven and unlike hell that are eternal, this world is not eternal. The Bible says the world will pass away. You know, all of the worldly gain, all of the investments that you may place in this present world will mean absolutely nothing when you and I enter into eternity. What I want you to see tonight is the ungodliness of this world. And because this world is temporary, listen to me, it offers nothing for you and I as a believer. There is nothing in this world that is worth living for. It has nothing to offer you and I because no amount of fame and no amount of gain will be able to go with us into eternity. This world is only temporary. Jesus said, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. We are representing the Lord Jesus Christ. We are sent into the world. We are commissioned by Jesus to live and operate inside of an ungodly world. So that brings us to question number two. How should we as believers look? How should we act? How should we operate in such an ungodly world? What are we to do? Notice with me, please. Very simply put, how should we look in this world? Nothing like it. We ought to be in total contrast. We ought to be polar opposite of anything that resembles this world. As we look at this, how should we act as a believer? Number one, we are not to love this world, nor the pleasure of this world. The Bible commands us very plainly as believers to not love this world, not to be swept away with the pleasures and the entertainment and the things that are distracting that Satan sets upon our path. 1 John 2.15, Jesus says very plainly, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We know this verse. We quote this verse often. But I think oftentimes we lose the power and the seriousness of this verse. Not only should we not love this world, Jesus goes as far as to tell us, Love not even the things that are in the world. Boy, that's a strong statement. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. James 4.4, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. God has commanded you and I that we should not take any pleasure, should not set any affection on this world. He goes as far as to say, once again, to befriend this world has become the enemy of God. I don't know about you, but the last thing that I want to do in my life is to, on purpose, intentionally set myself in opposition to God. Do you realize tonight, He's God. It will never end well. It will never be good when you and I set ourselves in opposition with God. You cannot win against God. He is the Creator. Yet how often in our lives do we set our affection on this world and we get swept away with various things that Satan puts in our path and we begin to become tolerant or we begin to become complacent in this world. Things that used to disgust us no longer disgust us. And we have on purpose, knowing it's wrong, placed ourselves in opposition to God. I believe what these verses are teaching us tonight is that God desires for you and I to be in complete disgust over the sins of this world. Do you realize tonight, if you're here, you're a believer, you know the Lord Jesus Christ, this ungodly world ought to disgust you. The sin of this world should even make you angry. The Bible says, be ye angry and sin not. There ought to be a righteous anger against the sin of this world. The sin of the world ought not to be areas that you and I find pleasure in. 
yet we do. So often we let our guard down and we just allow ourselves to go with the tide instead of being that godly person, that godly soldier that goes against the tide of this world. As we look at various things in this world that is ungodly, I think of the music of the world. You know, it ought to have no appeal for a believer. The music of this world is wicked, anti-God. It ought to have no place in our lives. You say, Pastor, don't touch my music. What I listen to in my car is my business. Well, God's in your car. And it's God's business. The entertainment of this world should bother you. Uh, You know, we, we all, I would say probably everyone in here has a TV somewhere in their house. And I'm not preaching against television, but what I am saying is the entertainment of this world ought to bother us because the language that is on pretty much anything you turn on the TV, even in children's cartoons, we find that they're filled with perverse content and ungodliness. This world has taken immorality and just made light of it. The perversions that have become normal throughout our world today. These things ought to bother us. And when we can wake up and we can go through our lives as believers without ever getting our feathers ruffled up, without ever having that just tense of uh, godly anger within us about the things that we see, the things we read about, the things we see in the news, even places that we go. Uh, I was sitting at a restaurant the other day and I could very clearly hear in a couple different tables around me just filthy language, cussing left and right. No respect of who was around them. That ought to bother you. I wanted to get up and go say something to them, but I was afraid that I'd lose my testimony. I was mad. This world and its sin ought to bother us. Can I tell you tonight, we are not to love this world, but we are to love the Lord Jesus Christ And according to God's word, we cannot do both. You cannot serve God and mammon. You know, it only makes sense as we move on that if we are not to love this world, number two, we are not to conform to this world. If we're not to love it, then we are not to conform to it. We are not to conform in order to act like this world. We all know Romans 12 and verse number 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Can I say this tonight, that just because everyone around you does, does not mean that you have to. I don't know what the situation is, where you work, where you're employed, or maybe even in your own family. You may be the only one in your family who is a believer. You may be the only one in your family that comes to church. But just because your family does, does not mean you have to when it goes against the things of God. Just because everyone that you uh, are employed with goes against God, does not mean that you have to follow. We are not to conform to this world. We are going to be in the minority. Jesus will always have a remnant, and I am proud to be a part of the remnant of the Lord Jesus Christ. May God help us not to love this world, not to conform to this world. As a believer, you and I ought to not only be angry about the sin, not only should we be uh, uh, just against what this world does, but we ought to feel very uncomfortable in the world. If we are in the world, but we're not of the world, if our citizenship is in heaven, if we belong and we will spend our eternity in the presence of Almighty God, then we ought to not feel very comfortable here in this world. It's not our home. Number three, how should we live in the world? 
We must understand that this world, once again, it holds absolutely no value for you and I. Once the, sa- once the devil gets in our head that this world offers something to live for, once Satan can convince us that there are things in this world that hold value, then he's got us caught. He's got us in a snare. The Bible teaches us plainly that this world holds no value. Again, Mark chapter 8, verse 36, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world? And lose his own soul. You can have everything this world has to offer. You can have all the money, all the power, all the influence. Everything that you think is pleasing to your flesh in this world. And God says it profits you nothing should you lose your own soul. Can I say this as a believer? You're saved. You're not worried about losing your soul. You're secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. But what profit is it going to be for you when you stand before a holy God and give an account of your life to Him? 1 Timothy 6, 7, For we brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out. Matthew 6 and verse 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Friend, where's your heart? In the world that is ungodly, or in the things of eternity. Worldly gain is nothing but vain. Nothing we acquire physically will be taken into heaven with us. The real value for you and I as believers is what we do for the Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks in what we just read about laying up treasures in heaven. There are rewards and blessings that God can bestow upon us for our faithful obedience, for being a light in a dark world, for walking under the principles of the Word of God. And these are treasures that God Himself will store in heaven for us that will have eternal value. Can I tell you, friend, we need to stop living for this world Start living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Number next, we're not, we are to stand out. How should we live in this ungodly world? We're to stand out. We're to be separate from the rest of the world. 2 Corinthians 6.17 Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. 1 Peter 2.9 But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you, catch this again, out of darkness, remember this world is spiritually dark, into His marvelous light. God has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. You and I ought to stand out. We ought to be separate. Jesus calls us a peculiar people. You know, sometimes... uh, you're, you're out in the world and maybe you're on the job site or, or maybe you're just around other people and you make a comment about the Lord or, or you open your Bible and sometimes you're just so narrow-minded. And by the way, being narrow-minded about the things of God is a good thing. That somebody who's not in church kind of looks at you and says, man, you're a little peculiar, aren't you? You're just an odd duck. Well, praise God, he says we are a peculiar people. I take that as a compliment. We need to stand out. I don't want this world to look at me and just think that I'm part of the crowd. I want to be separate. I want to stand out. I want to resemble the Lord Jesus Christ. It ought to be very easy for this world to spot a believer, even from a mile away. Our dress ought to be different from the world, modest and distinct. We've lost that in our world today. 
The way we carry ourselves should be different. Our conversation should be different. I spoke about foul language in the restaurant just a moment ago. Can I tell you that foul language has no place in the tongue of a believer? Our motivation is to be different. This world is motivated by a lot of crazy things. But for a believer, our sole motivation ought to be things of God. The Lord Jesus Christ ought to drive us each and every day of our lives to be more like Him. Our attitude should be different. You know, I'm about sick and tired of seeing believers walk around with a permanent frown fixed on their face. You know, it almost seems like a requirement for being a believer is to be depressed all the time. I am thankful for what we heard a moment ago. Friend, listen, we're on the winning side. That ought to stir you up. It ought to excite you. God's people ought to be the happiest people on the earth. Why? We have a hope that this world cannot fathom. We're on the winning side. Jesus is our Savior. The Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us. Our body is the temple of God. We have victory in this world. Praise God. We ought to be a happy people. I was joking around this morning with the teenagers. We're, uh, we've been going through the summer in Sunday school uh, soul-winning training. And uh, this morning I was giving them some very practical things about going out soul-winning and going door-to-door. And one of the points that I made, again, very profound, very, uh, uh, very specific, very simple, smile. When you go door-to-door, smile. But you think about it. I was kind of joking with them this morning, but I told them, how often do we walk around and we're just such an unhappy people? Our attitudes are so miserable. And I told the young people this morning, what you don't want to do is go knock on the door with a permanent frown. My name is Josh, and I'm from Central Baptist Church, and I've got to be out here. My parents made me. Here's a gospel track. It can save your life. It can tell you how to go from hell and be in heaven. I'm glad Jesus saved my life. You need to receive Jesus. Man, that's not the way to lead anybody to Christ. Nobody's going to listen to you when you've got a permanent frown on your face and you're acting miserable all the time. Can I tell you that our attitude ought to be different? You may be going through the trial of your life, and I mean, there may be something that is seriously discouraging in your life. There may be a sick family member. You may be going through some physical ailment. You may have financial problems, but can I tell you, it does not matter the circumstance in your life. God is greater than your circumstances. God can help you. I I see time and time again, godly people, faithful people, that even though they may be in the hospital, even though they may be going through trial and circumstance, and you go to visit them because you want to encourage them, and you walk away the one who's encouraged. Has that ever happened to you? You go to be a blessing to somebody. We used to go to the nursing home, and I had the opportunity to preach in the nursing home up in Thomasville, and I went to be a blessing. I went to encourage those blessed folks. And every time I walked away, the one encouraged Man, they're in a nursing home. They can't get around like they used to. They, can't, they don't have the freedom they once had, but they are genuinely happy. There's something different about them. Their attitude is different. Friends, our attitude ought not resemble this world. We ought to be happy. We have a hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to stand out. Number five, we ought to shine as lights in this dark world. What should we do as believers? We ought to shine as a light in this world. Matthew 5 and verse 14, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Catch verse 16. 
Let your light, this, this gets very personal, individual, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You remember this world is dark and it lies in spiritual darkness and as believers we are to shine, we are to penetrate that darkness with the truth, the Word of God. Our lives are to be shining examples to others of the grace and the mercy of Almighty God. You know, I may never get to hand somebody a gospel track. I may never have an opportunity to open my Bible and walk somebody through the plan of salvation. But they ought to see in my life an example of the Lord Jesus Christ. They ought to see a light. They ought to see a reflection of Jesus Christ who lives and resides in every believer. Shine as a light. They may see something different in you, and though you may not have an opportunity to witness to them on the spot, it may get them thinking. They may come back to you days later. They may seek out another Christian who can open the Word of God. Why? Because they saw a difference in you, and it gave them a hunger, and it gave them a thirst for what you had. May God help us to be the lights in this world that He's called us to be. That brings us to question number three. These next two will move a lot quicker, I promise you. We saw number one, what does the Bible say about this world? Number two, how are you and I as believers to operate in this ungodly world? Number three, is it really possible to live this way? Is it really possible as a believer to hate this world? Is it really possible to live a godly and separated life in such an ungodly world? Can you do it? Is it possible? You say, Brother Josh, this world is too far gone. It's too dark. Satan is too strong. The temptation is too strong. Uh, the, the temptation is so available in the world today. Can I really live separated unto God? Yes, you can. But only through the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I'm so thankful that uh, Brother Joey saying tonight, we're on the winning side because we do have victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 5, 5 says, Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Who can overcome the world? Believers. 1 John 4, 4, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Thank God. It may be dark, and by the way, this world's only getting worse. The Bible says in the last days, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. This world is going to get worse. It's going to continue to spiral toward Satan and toward sin. Yet we can live godly in the midst of it through the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God for the victory that we have in Him. Question number four. Why does it matter? Why does it matter? Is it really worth it to live for the Lord? Is it really that important that we live a separated and a godly life? What's the big deal? Why should we preach against sin? Why should we live godly? Why should we go against the crowd? It's hard. Yes, it is. But is it worth it? You say, Pastor, why can't I just live my life? Why can't I just live my own way? Why should I submit myself to the authority of God and live a separated life? Several reasons. Can I tell you tonight, it's because others need to see your love for Christ so that they can see their need of Him as well. I want you to think for just a moment about your family. I want you to think about your workplace. I want you to think about the community that we live in and ask yourself this question. Without your godly example, what would happen to the folks around you? 
Without the godly example of Central Baptist Church that has stood strong throughout the years, where would this community be? How many souls would be lost if we just decided we would no longer live stream, we would no longer have a radio broadcast, we'd shut the doors of our church? How many souls would die and go to hell? Without our godly example... There may be friends, there may be family, there may be people that you and I love very dearly who would find their eternity in hell because you and I, as believers, chose never to live like it. Is it worth living for God? Absolutely, because if we don't, we're accountable for others around us who may never come to that saving knowledge because as a believer, knowing we should live godly, we chose never to do so. Is it worth it to live for God? It is because it matters to God, and it only benefits you and I. Do you realize tonight that living a godly life will not harm you in any way, but it will only benefit you greatly? It'll be well-pleasing to God when we choose to live for God. We are fulfilling His will. You know, the Bible says that they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's true. You say, hold on a minute. Uh, you said it's, not go- it's only going to benefit us living for God, but what if we get persecuted? Well, the Bible says the persecutions and the trials and the temptations and all of those things of this present world are not even worthy to be compared to the glory that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ when we see Him. When we choose not to live for the Lord... We are choosing simply to miss out, to hurt, and to damage ourselves. From what I want you to see through this message tonight is that our world is evil, but yet we have been sent into this world that we might be an example. I I look around our world, and instead of seeing a host of believers who are separated from the world, so often I see believers, so-called Christians, who have just made themselves right at home in this world. We we find people left and right who profess to know God, yet they are swept away with the entertainment of this ungodly world. We, We are so content to be tolerant, having one foot in the world, yet coming to church on Sunday just so that we can keep God at arm's distance. Can I tell you, friend, we need a good dose of reality. And the reality is we're living in an ungodly world. And when we give ourselves to the pleasures, when we give ourselves to its entertainment, when we set our affection on things below rather than on things above, we're hurting ourselves. We're hurting the influence that we have for the Lord Jesus Christ. May God help us to remember tonight we have been sent. We're not here because we belong. We're not here to exist. We're not here to imitate and be like the world We are sent, commissioned by God into this world to make a difference, to be His representative. May God help us to do so. Let's bow for a word of prayer tonight.